All right, let us look at our scripture uh, that can be found in the back of your bulletin. And this is Galatians 1, 11 through 24. Galatians 1, 11 through 24. Paul is speaking to the church at Galatia. And this is what he says. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brothers. brother. In what I am writing you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. The word of the Lord. Well, I've been, uh, my family and I were gone on vacation uh, last week. I believe Paul uh, uh, preached, and uh, not the Apostle Paul, but Paul Wrigley, though he might, uh, he looks like him in stature. Uh, and so it was good to get away. And uh, we went to Bald Head Island, which is this neat island off the coast of Wilmington. Uh, and it was very enjoyable. And uh, the water was great, and we were in the water a lot, and uh, it was just a time of refreshment. And so I was very happy to be able to get away. You know, there's something, and uh, we're going to the beach uh, today. And if you haven't been to a beach day with Redeemer, it's a lot of fun. So I'd encourage you to come out. But there's a phenomenon that happens when you are in the surf hanging out, catching waves, whether bodyboarding or whatever. And it depends on the wind, it depends on the current, but you're bodyboarding and you're enjoying yourself and, and uh, you sort of forget the, the shore and then all of a sudden you look up and you realize that you've drifted and you've drifted down and sometimes you're amazed at how far you're drifted in such a short period of time. We'll often be watching my son surf and you know they start out right here and you lower your head and you watch your book and you read your book and you look up again and they're all the way down there. It's uh, the nature to drift, if you will, in the water. And I think that's a little bit about what's going on here with the Galatians. They're drifting. They're drifting from the gospel. And you know, here's the thing about drifting. When you're drifting, you don't realize it, do you? It's when you look up and you realize that I've gone from here to here. That's what's going on with the Galatians. They've been drifting away from the gospel to a man-made gospel that is no gospel at all. And Paul is on the shoreline waving to them, saying, you're leaving the gospel which you came to Christ through. Wake up. You're drifting. If, to recap what is going on, new teachers have come into the church 
Paul has planted this church and he's gone away on his missionary church, uh, journey. And these new teachers that we call Judaizers are preaching a fake gospel. They're saying that salvation is not actually by grace alone. It's not actually obtained through faith alone. And it's not based on the finished work of Christ alone. It's based on a mixture of that and your human effort. And the result is they're drifting away. And so how does Paul wave his hands to tell them they're drifting away? In this particular passage that we're going to look at, he does two things. The first is he defends his apostleship. He defends the truth and reality that he is one who has been called by God and has preached to them the true gospel. But Paul doesn't stop there. He could simply appeal to his authority and say, therefore, you must obey what I told you to obey. But he doesn't do that. He goes on and he appeals to his life. He uses himself as an example, really in three particular parts. Number one, who he was before Christ. Number two, what Christ did for him on that road to Damascus as he heard the gospel and believed. And finally, who he is now and, and how uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ changed him. He appeals to his life to back up his heavenly commission because Paul understands a truth that we all know. A life changed by the gospel is the most powerful witness to the truth of the gospel. And so I want to suggest to you and I that we not only have the gospel to share, but the evidence of a transformed life if we follow in the footsteps of Paul. And so we're going to examine these three phases of his life in the rest of the time I have. Number one, who he was before Christ. Number two, his conversion in Christ. And number three, who he is, who he was after Christ. So let's begin with point number one, who he was. Paul starts out in verse 13 by saying, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. Excuse me. He starts out by saying, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel I preached by, preached by me is not man's gospel. He appeals to the truth and reality that he is an apostle, that Jesus has commissioned him. But then he moves on to who he was in verse 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul was a Pharisee. That word Pharisee comes from the Hebrew word parash, which means to separate, to separate oneself. See, the Pharisees were zealots for the law. They believed in the resurrection of the dead and the judgment to follow before God for one's life. See, they understood, the ancients understood something that we have lost sight of, that life is short and fleeting and that we are mortal and that there must be something after the grave. Otherwise, all of life is futile. It's, you live, you die, it's over. And so they believed and understood from looking at the law that one can be righteous through unfailingly keeping the commands of Moses. We know when we think of the commands of Moses, we think of the Ten Commandments that were chiseled in stone. But there were really more commands than just those ten. There were actually, and they counted them up, 613 laws in the law of Moses, in the Torah that they were to obey. 
But you see, over the centuries, as the teachers of the law had thought about what these laws meant, they had explained them and defined them and added sub-laws to explain those laws. So, for instance, one of the Ten Commandments is not to work on the Sabbath. Well, the teachers had come out with 39 rules of what constitutes work. And each one of those 39 rules or laws had sub-laws. And so there were thousands of laws that were necessary to be kept if you wanted to obtain your righteousness through the law of Moses. And that was exactly what the Pharisees did, exactly what Paul was doing with his life. See, Paul mistakenly believed that God only loves and favors those who obey. And Paul was not about to be second in the race to be righteous. He says that I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own uh, uh, age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. This is why Paul was persecuting the church. You ever wonder, what, what was Paul's beef with the church? Why did he have so many problems with the church? In fact, it says that he persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. This was a man of God living righteously, supposedly, who had hatred and violence in his heart. The reason he hated the gospel is because the gospel communicated that one was saved not through zealous adherence to all of these thousands of laws, but rather through the grace of Jesus Christ, through faith in believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. See, the message of Jesus to the Pharisees and to all of us is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No matter how many laws that you try to keep, you will always fall short because the problem is in our hearts, that we are sinners. And so righteousness, as Jesus came, did not come, uh, communicated that righteousness cannot be achieved. It must be received. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now this rubbed Paul the wrong way, didn't it? Because all his life he had been committed to obeying every single law because God loves me based on my performance. I must be first. And so he developed an intense hatred and fanaticism against the people of God and against Jesus Christ. So much so that he actually thought that he was serving God. Now what does that have to do with us? Well, unlike the ancients, we have lost the reality and truth that life is mortal. We simply put our headphones into our ears and listen to whatever's on. And the world goes ahead and amuses itself, trying to forget the reality that life does not last forever. But the world also communicates a couple of very important messages. Number one, you're not that bad. We're graded on a sliding scale by the world. And it's always sliding, isn't it? Uh, you're not that bad compared to that person, right? And it moves and it shapes and changes. There's always somebody worse than us. That's one of the messages of the world. You're not that bad. But another message is God is not that good. Surely his standard isn't that high. His standard of holiness and perfection. Does God really 
command us to love our neighbor as ourself and to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's a ridiculous requirement. Nobody can live up to that. It must be lower. Instead, our world has substituted three different new laws of Moses that you have to obey. These are the standards that the world and we are tempted to measure ourselves by. Number one, you are what you do. Number two, you are what you have. And number three, you are what others think of you. And the world is just as zealous as Paul on following these laws. And we are tempted as well, are we not? What you do, is there not the temptation to build a kingdom for yourself, whether it be in your job or in the way that you raise your family, because you're being graded by your performance, by what you do? Is there not the world watching for the standard of what you have? And so the race is on in America to acquire as much as you can, to live in the right neighborhood, in the right house, and drive the right car, and have the right body. And it goes on and on and on. And you are what others think of you. And so we struggle and rush to cultivate a reputation that others will always think well of us. They'll never think poorly of us because ultimately the immortality that we carve for ourselves is based on the opinions to others of others. I have a picture. I don't know, Ron, if you have that picture that you can go ahead and send up. This is the Princess Anne Memorial Park. You may wonder what I'm doing at the Princess Anne Memorial Park, which is a graveyard. I often lurk around in graveyards. I'm either a pastor or a vampire. No one's exactly sure. But if you walk through Princess Anne Memorial Park, you'll discover that there are tombstones of people who have already passed and gone ahead. But there are also tombstones and areas that are blank. They're waiting for you. So when you come to pick out your tombstone, you can go ahead and choose your area. When I walk into my office and I sit down, this is actually the picture that is right in front of me. A picture of a blank tombstone. Because the reality is, as much as the world tells me, you will never face consequences for your actions. You will never face judgment before God. You will always live forever and everything will be great. That's an outright lie. And one day unless Jesus comes back before, that might be my tombstone. And the question is, what am I going to put upon it? What am I going to base my hope? Is it on what others think of me? Is it on what I do? Or what I have? For surely those things won't matter at this point, will they? See, the reality is the road to gaining righteousness through your own efforts never ends. It goes on into eternity. But what you think about Jesus shows what you think about yourself. It's really only three things I can think in terms of what you think about Jesus. Number one, he's irrelevant. In other words, I'm so busy with my head focused down and I'm, I'm moving forward and I'm building my treasure and I'm building my stairwell. 
my stair, uh, stairwell, is that right? Stairway up to heaven that I don't have time or a need for whoever this Jesus Christ is. Number two, he's not irrelevant. He's a threat. Because I built my system of how I'm going to get to heaven. And Jesus is rattling my cage, saying, you're not good enough. Without my righteousness, without my blood spilled on the cross, without my perfect life in place for yours, you will surely fail. You will surely receive the condemnation of God. And I've got to get rid of him because he keeps crying out this voice that says, you're in trouble and I am your only hope. That's why most of the world hates Jesus Christ, a lot of the world. Number three, he's essential. That I've come to the end of myself, as Paul did, as the Galatians at one time did, and realize that without Jesus Christ, I'm surely lost. And Paul is rattling the Galatians' cage, and I'm doing the same for you. To say our only hope but a sure and solid hope, a foundation upon which we can stand, is Jesus Christ. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, on the finished work of Christ alone. Let's move to point number two, his conversion. Because Paul was surely not thinking that when he was walking on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians. But the Lord met him there as it communicates in Acts 9. And Paul puts it this way in Galatians 1.15. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. Notice what Paul is saying here. When he set me apart, Paul's life to this point had been setting himself apart as a Pharisee, right? Parash. He'd been separating himself. But he realized through Jesus Christ that it is Christ who set him apart. The words set him apart are the same words that mean to make holy. In other words, Jesus Christ is the one who made me holy. Not like the Pharisees, but rather by his sovereign will. Because it says when he who had set me apart. It was God who did this. And notice when he did it. Before I was born. Before Paul had started following any of those a thousand laws. Before Paul had done anything right or wrong. It was God who in his sovereign decision set him apart to make him holy. Now how could God do that if it was based on the conduct and life of Paul? The answer is it was not. It was based on the sovereign decision and grace of God. This brings up the important question that I often ask Christians. When were you saved? If indeed you are a Christian and have given your life to Christ. Most people would answer that question at the particular time that they gave their life and their heart to Jesus Christ. Whether it was at a church service or it was at a Young Life camp or an FCA camp or someplace like that. But the reality for the Christian of when you were saved is when Jesus got up on that cross and died. When he said, it is finished, he was talking about your sin and he was talking about my sin. 
See, when Jesus was on that cross, you literally were on his mind. He set Paul apart, and he set Christians, if you are a Christian, myself, apart before I was born. Indeed, the decision to save me and you was before the beginning of time, the scriptures tell us. Paul says, when he set me apart before I was born and he called me by his grace. He did not come before Paul with a checklist and start checking off the various things that Paul had done to warrant a visit from Jesus Christ. In other words, you made the cut, Paul. You just completed your eighth or umpteenth righteous act. I am here to bestow upon you a medal for your performance. No, he called me by his grace. And he took him off the treadmill of performance. When Paul was on the road to Damascus where Jesus met him, he was literally going to persecute the church, to take Christians and put them in jail. If Jesus was like me, he would have wiped Paul out. But instead, he bestowed on him the honor of sonship. And how did all of this come to Paul on the road to Damascus? He was pleased to reveal his son to me. The grace of God is not bound up in a series of rules, in a parchment or a book that's come down from the sky. The grace of God is bound up in a person, Jesus Christ, who is the righteousness of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So do you see, my friends, why Paul is appealing not just to his heavenly commission, his heavenly apostleship, but to his salvation? He's reminding them of what happened to them. He was reminding them of the gift that comes in Jesus Christ, how it changed him and freed him from slavery to the law. See, that's what moved Saul from Saul to Paul. And he was never, ever the same. You know, I have uh, two dogs. I know, it would be amazing. I'm not necessarily a dog person, but my wife is, and my kids are. And so we have a Boykin Spaniel named Pepper, who's four or five years old and never seems to calm down, and Sadie, who is so sweet, so kind. And from time to time when we leave and we go out of house, we put them both in their respective crates. And when we come back after a several-hour hiatus and we release the hounds, and I release Pepper and he takes off like a rocket, right? He's so happy to be out of that cage. But Sadie's a little bit different. You open the door, you go ahead and pull it out, and Sadie sometimes just sits there very content to be in the enclosure. It's safe, it's comfortable, and she knows it. And Sadie, come, come out, we have this beautiful backyard and we have all of this space and we have all of this. Sadie just sits in the cage. I think that's sometimes a little bit like us. And we've become so used to the cage of the world. You are what you do. 
You are what you have. You are what others think of you. That we don't realize that in Jesus Christ, that cage is open. We were meant for greener pastures, for greater spaces, for a life of freedom. Paul is saying, you are free in Christ. Don't stay in your cage. And I am saying to you the same. The Galatians were free and they were allowing themselves to be enslaved. And it's easy for us to fall into the same trap. But the gospel says I'm righteous. I'm forgiven. I'm beloved. The world says I am not. Who am I going to believe? Paul finishes with his life after the gospel. Notice what he does in verse 16. He says, When God was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Peter, Cephas, and remained with him 15 days. And it goes on and it goes on. God gave Paul a new mission to proclaim the gospel. Notice how he does a complete 180. His former mission, Paul was doing because he had to, because that's what the law required. But his new mission, he was doing because he wanted to. His mission to destroy the church, in it he was living for salvation. But in his message to proclaim Christ, he was living out of salvation. And so he began, and began to immediately preach the gospel. It doesn't speak much about his time in Arabia, but his time in Arabia was not in, in the desert. It, it, uh, uh, I could go into quite a while. It's a specific area that also includes the ten cities, the Decapolis. Paul immediately began preaching Christ and ultimately ended up going to Jerusalem. You see, God put a new song in Paul's mouth. And God put a new heart in Paul's chest. And God had a specific calling for Paul. And notice the results of his life. In verse 22, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me. The new mission and the new song for Paul's life was to bring praise to God from other people. See, we're all on a race. And it's a race that's either a race to be run in the power and strength and grace of Jesus Christ or that of the world. One leads to ultimately, uh, ultimate enmity against God but the other leads to a race that God has for us and results in praise to God on behalf of our life. God did that in Paul's life. And Paul is communicating to the Galatians that that is what, Paul, what God is going to do in their life. And I am communicating to you that that's what God wants to and will do in our lives. If you're not yet a Christian, God wants to put a new song in your mouth as he puts a new heart in your chest because grace frees us 
You ever wonder why when people left from Jesus Christ and Jesus always said, I don't want you to talk about me, they would go off and immediately start talking about him. He would think that they would obey what the person who had just healed them told them to do. The reason was they couldn't help talking about the one who had set them free. God has a message for you and I in this community, in our families, in this world. Will we walk in the grace and faith of Jesus Christ? Or will we continue to stay in the cage? For a life changed by the gospel is the most powerful witness to the truth of the gospel. Where are you in your journey of faith? Go ahead and lift up your head and look at the beach. Are you drifting? Have you drifted away from the truth of Jesus Christ? He's calling you to come back to the freedom that comes in the grace and the faith in the finished work of Jesus. Put down your race of the world and pick up the race that God has for you to proclaim Christ because of the freedom of what Christ has done in your life. Because a life changed by the gospel is the most powerful witness to the truth of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Paul. It's because of him that we have these words which tell us the truth and which your Holy Spirit uses to prick our conscience, to bring you to you and to keep us in you. Lord, help us no longer to listen to the siren song of the world which preaches a gospel that only kills and destroys. Rather, let us set our hope fully on Jesus Christ and the freedom that we have in him. And let our lives be testament to an unbelieving world and to our fellow brothers and sisters around us that Christ is Lord, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. 